Jean-Leon Garone was a famous French portrait painter of the late 19th century, and he was once asked which painting he most wanted to be remembered by, and he replied, solitude. In fact, uh, Leon Jerome had painted 12 paintings entitled Solitude. And he said that solitude was the way in which he wanted to be remembered because of this. He said, the whole conviction of my life is the belief that loneliness is far from being a rare and curious phenomenon. Loneliness is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. Well, many of us are feeling lonely at this time. Many of us feel the distance from one another. We feel that this is not a curious phenomenon, but this is something that's very deep within our experience. We've known it before, but perhaps for many of us, loneliness has become a profound sense of how we're experiencing this corona crisis. Solitude has become solitary confinement, one writer has put it. Our homes, which were once places of solitude, of rest and of refuge, have become, for many, self-imposed prisons. We're trapped, but we're trapped by ourselves, left to ourselves. And there's a great danger in being left to ourselves. There's much potential in harm in our world from others. But in many ways, there is more potential away from others than there is with others. We're going to meet two such men who were isolated, who were excluded from others and who were tormented in that situation of isolation. Last week we looked at Matthew's Gospel and we picked up there from our reading today, we saw that Jesus stilled the storm. And in Jesus stilling the storm, it's really an escalation of the display of Jesus' authority so far in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew has been building to this point of Jesus stilling the storm. As Jesus came down from the mountain, he came down from great teaching. And at the end of chapter 7, we're told that he was unique in his authority in the way that he taught. There's great healings that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. The leper, the servant, Peter's mother-in-law. In fact, many who were sick have been healed. And great crowds, great teaching, great healings, great crowds now come to Jesus, pressing him for the next healing, to hear his next word. And so Jesus retreats. He escapes the attention and he reserves for his disciples what we saw last week, perhaps the greatest external display of power. His disciples are left in wonder as Jesus stilled that storm. What kind of man is this? They don't ask that question after Peter's mother-in-law is healed, but they ask that question after the storm is still because it's so dramatic. It's so clear. It's so visual. It's so concrete, Jesus' power. As the waves crashed, Jesus simply spoke. See, Jesus is in control. 
Jesus has the power to still the storms, to heal the sick. Because this is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring order in the middle of a chaotic world, the chaos of disease, of impending death. Jesus comes in and turns and fixes and heals and repairs such that the chaos is brought into order. Life is brought in the face of death, healing to disease, in the face of disease. And that's what's so difficult about the next section that we're going to concentrate on from verse 28 following. It comes off the back of this powerful encounter that Jesus has with a storm. But I think as I've been reflecting upon it, this encounter that Jesus has with these two demon-possessed men is as powerful, and perhaps, <clears throat> perhaps even more powerful, than Jesus stilling the storm. Because what we see here is that Jesus has come to bring order. He's come to bring order to storms, to nature and our world. He's come to bring order to a man with leprosy, hands and feet, uh, flesh rotting away. He's come to restore that world. But he's also come to restore a world that's not quite as obvious at first glance. And it's a world of greater disorder than the external world. So you know that you're in trouble when you're in a storm. You feel the wind in your face. But the very nature of an internal disorder is that you can be in many ways unaware of dark powers that control you, that hold you. And in fact, I think it's true that the more we know ourselves, the more we're aware that there's not just chaos and disorder out there in the world, but there is in fact chaos and disorder within our own selves. And it's this chaos and disorder that Jesus comes to, that Jesus enters, and that Jesus has a massive impact in turning these men's lives around. You feel the fate, you feel the storm in your face, but the internal disorder we feel in our hearts. And that's why Matthew records. I think off the back of Jesus calming the storm, uh, an encounter with two demon-possessed men. I think it, it happened that way, but I think Matthew's point here is that it's not just the external disorder that Jesus has come to heal, it's the internal as well. And this time it's not the sick who are coming to Jesus, but Jesus is entering the world of disorder. Because Jesus is entering the region of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes. We're not quite sure how to say it, but what we do know is that this area that Jesus is entering, deliberately going to, is a Gentile area. And there, as Jesus uh, has come off the back of stilling this storm, there with his disciples, they land in the boat, near some caved tombs. 
And those cave tombs would have been an area, I think, that would have been eerie and disturbing. And as they land, these two wild figures come tearing out from the tombs. Here are men living amongst the dead. You don't expect anyone to come from tombs, but here are two men whose home is these tombs, whose home is away from society, whose home is just on the edge of death. And these two men are extreme examples of human brokenness. Here are two men who are living a hellish existence. And in a very real sense, these two demon-possessed men are nothing like us. These two demon-possessed men are controlled by dark and real spiritual forces that have such a degree of power over them. We don't tend to identify with these two men. We may identify with those in the gospel who receive healing, those who trust in Jesus, who have faith in him. But we don't normally identify with these two men. But in the extremity of their brokenness, these two men, I think, are a picture of our own hearts. They're a picture of what we don't like to see. They're a picture of an evil that isn't just out there. They're a picture of an evil that, if we're honest with ourselves, is in here too. And we know that that evil too often controls us. We seek to resist it. We perhaps seek to resist it each day, but we're not powerful enough for it. This evil controls us. The word there for demon-possessed and the original language the Bible was written in isn't so much here possession as it is simply the word to be demonised. These two men are oppressed, are controlled by these demons. And in many ways they're quite different from us, but the Bible unnervingly actually brings us much closer to these men. Because in the Bible, in 1 Timothy, for example, Paul says that if you are proud, you fall into the trap of the devil. He says in Ephesians, if you're just bitter... If you just hold grudge, then you fall under the influence of the devil. That is to say in the Bible that there are demonic forces. There are demonic forces that have such a control of people in such extreme ways. But that's not so different from us, from the way in which evil controls us. Even the bitterness of our heart, the Bible says is a force of evil, is a force of evil at work within us, a force of evil that aggravates the evil within us, stirs it up, entangles us. You notice there in verse 28 how lonely these men are. Verse 28, when they arrived at the other side in the region of the Gararenes, two demon-possessed men come from the tombs to meet him. See where these men are. They're shut off from others. They're isolated from human companionship. They're lonely. 
They've lost the ability to relate to others and engage in normal, reciprocal human interaction. These men had in many ways turned in on themselves, harming themselves. And here they are, encountering Jesus. It's a storm here that encounters Jesus. But it's a very different storm this time. It's a storm of evil that Jesus is facing as he comes off that boat, as these men come from the tombs at him. And in a dramatic way, these spirits speak. These spirits speak instead of these men. These men have lost their voices. They've been so controlled, so owned by evil. They don't speak for themselves because they don't control themselves. These that hold them speak for them. And there in the middle of this storm of evil, in the middle of this disordered, broken example of humanity, Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks in a very similar way in which he spoke to that storm. He said to the storm, be still. And here he says to this storm of human chaos, he says, go. Verse 32, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died into the water. I want us to notice here Jesus' power. And it's the exact same power that Jesus had when he stilled that storm. But not only does Jesus still a storm, but he deals here not just with one demon, He deals with thousands of demons as if there were just one. Because for Jesus there is no difference. Jesus, as he encounters these two men, as he encounters the forces of evil, he doesn't work up a sweat. He doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't call on some higher power. Because he is that higher power. The Lord Jesus, in the face of evil, And in the face of human brokenness, he himself is that power. And there is no question who is in control. He says to those spirits, go. And they go. And it leaves us with the question, why? Why did they go and go into the pigs? Why did Jesus allow it? In our modern, very sensitive world, We think, you know, it's great for these demon-possessed men, but those poor pigs, if we were there and if we had seen the dramatic circumstances of how Jesus comes and brings in to order this, these lives of disorder, we wouldn't be asking... The question, we, I think we might have been asking the question, how much evil is there and what is it going to take? And if we had seen such a huge herd of pigs, 
In the Gospel of Mark, it says that there were 2,000 pigs. If we had seen 2,000 pigs drowned in that sea, we would never have forgotten the evil that was in these men. We never would have forgotten that it was no small amount of evil that held these men. And I think that's the point, as Matthew records it. He's saying to us something about the nature of evil. Matthew records that this, these evil spirits entered these pigs because the reality is that evil cannot just evaporate. Evil cannot simply be redefined and then disappear. That's what we want. So often we want evil just to disappear from our lives, just to be swept under the carpet. But here from Matthew chapter 8, we learn that that's not the nature of how evil works. See, if we had seen this kind of scene and the dramatic outcome of these men's healing, we never would have thought that the evil that had gripped these men could have been dealt with by simply a hug and some antidepressants. See, we underestimate. We underestimate evil and we underestimate the forces of evil at work in our own hearts and in the human heart when we see the evil that takes form in these men and the way it controls them and the way in which Jesus took that evil from these men and placed it into these pigs, we see a picture of a very vivid transfer, one that takes evil and the torment that evil brings to bring healing to these men, but that evil is transferred somewhere. It can't simply evaporate. It's transferred. And this transfer anticipates a greater transfer, a greater exchange, because evil cannot simply be removed by the hum- from the human heart. It must be born. And here in this small picture is a picture of what Jesus would do at large. Later on, at the very end of this gospel, we see that as Jesus dies on the cross, we see him dealing with evil. And here in this moment we see just a temporary window into what Jesus would do on the cross. It's temporary because, well, these two men were healed, just as temporary as stilling that storm was because other storms would come, just as temporary as Jesus' healings were because other diseases would come. But at the end of the gospel, when Jesus dies on the cross, here we see a healing. Here we see a way that evil is treated with, not as a temporary measure, but in a permanent and proper and full and final and complete way because there is greater evil than just in these two men. There is evil within all human hearts. There is evil that exists within our world. And when Jesus dies on the cross and when he is raised to life three days after, God is dealing with evil. The Lord Jesus is bearing our evil. And all who belong to him, because of his death, he bears our evil, 
It's placed upon him and it brings our healing as it brings his death. And in the third day, as Jesus rises, we see that Jesus has victory over evil, disease, Satan and death. See, Jesus was present for those two men. And the Bible reminds us that Jesus is in fact present for all who call upon him. He is present by his spirit. And if that is true, if Jesus entered those two two men's lives and brought about a healing by casting out that evil in their lives, then we can expect the same kind of experience. That as we call on Jesus, as we realise the way in which evil has a hold upon our heart, whatever our guilt, whatever our condition, whatever degree of brokenness we have and we experience, Jesus comes into that place. He comes into that place to give us healing. But we don't We don't so often want that. And that's where this story ends in such this tragic and disturbing kind of way. Pick it up there in verses 33 and 34 as we close. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. See, Jesus came to bring healing. He came to bring human wholeness. And how do humans respond? Well, that's just too costly. That's just too risky to have Jesus around. You see, I know for many of us, we know that there's something in Jesus. We know that there's something deeply wrong within our lives, within our hearts, within our world, and we see something in Jesus. But the problem is we want to keep him at arm's length. But the sobering reminder of this encounter that Jesus has with these two men is that Jesus is willing when we call on him to come but he's just as willing to go. And in chapter 9, verse 1, in the very next verse, next chapter, Jesus does go. And as far as we know, he does not come back. And so can I say to you that if you know that there is something about Jesus, something that he has to offer that you need in your life, can I ask you to hear this sober warning Do not say to him, go away, because he may. And if he does, that is tragic. See, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you know that there's a brokenness in your life, if you know that you are controlled by forces that are far more powerful than you, if you know that there's a sense in which you torment even yourself, then can I ask Can I plead with you to invite the Lord Jesus into your heart, into that darkness, into your life, and seek the healing that he brings? 
And if you've done that, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you've trusted him, him, if you're a Christian person, can I invite you to draw near to him, to draw near to him in your brokenness, to draw near to the Lord Jesus in your loneliness and to invite him into the places in your own heart, the places for which devils live. These two men are caught in evil. And they are caught by evil in their loneliness. And I think loneliness does produce the kind of fertile soil for the devil to be at work. And so we must come realising our loneliness, realising our despair, and come to the Lord Jesus. Come to him with all our hurt, our anger, and our sadness. And come to him and know that as he comes to us, he says to all that would torment us, to all that would harm us, to all that would hurt us, he says the very same words. He says, go. And when the Lord Jesus says, go, when he says, be still, the chaos of the storm is brought to calm. Peace enters Evil is pushed away. Evil is done away with. Evil is defeated. And the Lord Jesus brings healing, brings wholeness, and brings restoration to our lives. Let's pray that we might invite the Lord Jesus into our hearts.